Greetings, greetings, greetings. Today's read is going to be one of victory, one of justice. Henrietta Lacks is a name known to many now more so because of the story that was made about her life, the book, and then the story, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. But her her name is still not as widely known as it should be. She was an African-American woman, a mother of five, who in her 30s went for medical assistance to Johns Hopkins. And she received medical assistance, but they also took her cells and experimented them on her cells in the way in ways that they had no permission to do. And even after her death, because of who she is as a black woman, her cells were useful to Johns Hopkins. And they made billions off of her cells without her family ever knowing until they found out and they demanded financial compensation at the very least. And Johns Hopkins wasn't forthcoming. It was a long legal battle and they finally won a form of justice. So today's read is going to look at the before and after of this particular legal battle for Miss Henrietta Lacks. And her story is definitely immortal. And her family fought to make sure that it stays that way. Above board. Not just behind the scenes for those who work in the shadows to literally steal lives. Vampires are real. Those people who call themselves scientists and whatever they call themselves. When they stole her cells and used them without any type of moral decency on their mind. Those were vampires, body snatchers, whatever you want to call them. But thankfully, because, and we see this more often than not when it comes to black people, people of African descent in America, the only time that we can get any type of actual true justice is when a public spectacle is made out of the situation. And so kudos to Henrietta Lacks's family for the fight that they put up for her, for the justice that they want for her and others like her because they fought, others will benefit and hopefully things will change and people can't just be used for their bodies to benefit others outside of themselves their families, their communities. Too many times black bodies have been and are being used to benefit everybody except those black bodies and it has to stop. It has to. And in order for it to stop, we gotta keep on speaking up. So, here's today's read. The reason that this article caught my eye today was I saw an article about Henrietta Lacks being honored by Johns Hopkins with a new building. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then when I'm reading Johns Hopkins version of how they're honoring her, I saw that they wrote that she was a person who unknowingly donated cells to Johns Hopkins in 1951. That's a lie. Unknowingly donate makes absolutely no sense. If a person donates It is a choice, a conscious choice. Donating anything is a conscious choice. Unknowingly donate is a lie. And that's the way people who play around in the shadows 
portray things, whether they're lawyers, doctors, educators, politicians, people who play in the shadows and benefit off of other people's lives and don't want to be held accountable, play with words in this way. Henrietta Lacks did not give permission for herself to be used the way they were used. She wasn't even asked. Her family did not give permission for herself to be used the way they were used. They weren't even asked. So I started digging a little more because I wanted to, before I read the story about the building that's being dedicated in her honor, I wanted to get into the story of how Johns Hopkins finally was made to get to a place where they had to honor her. So I found an article on www.nature.com and it's an editorial published on September 1st, 2020. The headline is Henrietta Lacks, Science Must Write a Historical Wrong. In Henrietta Lacks's centennial year, researchers must do more to ensure that human cells cannot be taken without consent. Nobody asked Henrietta Lacks for consent to use her cells in research in 1951, and shockingly, consent is still not always required in the United States today. That day, in Erica Johnson's high school biology class some 20 years ago, is seared into her memory. The teacher was leading the students through experiments involving cells from a widely used line known as HELA. The cell line originated from tissue taken from a woman named Henrietta Lacks, and Johnson's mother was a Lacks. This is my great-grandmother I'm holding in my hand, Johnson remembers feeling. It was a very surreal situation. Last month marked 100 years since Lax's birth. She died in 1951, age 31, of an aggressive cervical cancer. Months earlier, doctors at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, had taken samples of her cancerous cells while diagnosing and treating the disease. They gave some of that tissue to a researcher without Lax's knowledge or consent. In the laboratory, her cells turned out to have an extraordinary capacity to survive and reproduce. They were, in essence, immortal. The researchers shared them widely with other scientists, and they became a workhorse of biological research. Today, work done with HALA cells underpins much of modern medicine. They have been involved in key discoveries in many fields, including cancer, immunology, and infectious disease. One of their most recent applications has been in research for vaccines against COVID-19, but the story of Henrietta Lacks also illustrates the racial inequities that are embedded in the United States research and healthcare systems. Lax was a black woman. The hospital where her cells were collected was one of only a few that provided medical care to black people. None of the biotechnology or other companies that profited from her cells passed any money back to her family. And for decades after her death, doctors and scientists repeatedly failed to ask her family for consent as they revealed Lax's name publicly, gave her medical records to the media, and even published her cells' genome online. Following an outcry, the genome was soon removed. Nature later published the genome of another HALA line after the Lax family reached an agreement with the United States National Institutes of Health to approve its release, the NIH. Now, the extraordinary events of 2020. You know, the all of the protests that happened. It's interesting to me how the protests of 2020, I don't see too many articles writing about how that changed things. But this is another instance where they 
made a change, um, helped make a change, um, and compelled scientists to reckon with past injustices. Some have called for a reduction in the use of HALA cells in research or even to end their use entirely. The argument is that because the cells were obtained without Lax's knowledge or consent, even though it was legal at that time, just like slavery was legal when it was, you know, going on, I'll say anti-black slavery was legal for a very long time and Jim Crow was legal for a very long time. But anyway, the argument is that because the cells were obtained without Lax's knowledge or consent, any use of them is unethical and perpetuates an injustice. But that is not what many Lax family members want. Henrietta Lax has dozens of descendants, several of whom are he, several of whom are leading a new effort in her centennial, centennial year. And there was a hashtag, Hela100, that instead calls for people to celebrate her life and legacy. I want scientists to acknowledge that Hela cells came from an African-American woman who was flesh and blood, who had a family, and who had a story, her granddaughter Jerry Lax Y told Nature. And there is much to her story, so much to her story. Henrietta Lax loved to cook. Spaghetti was a favorite, and she loved to dance, often with one of her five children in her arms. She dressed stylishly and wore red nail polish. She was the emotional and psychological center of a home where the extended family gathered and where the door was always open to anyone in need. To her grandson, Alfred Lax Carter, the most important thing about Hela cells is how they have advanced cancer research, a fitting tribute given that Lax died of the disease. Many people have also told him that they were able to conceive a child because of in vitro fertilization, which was developed with the help of Hela cells. I didn't know that. Wow. They would take it in a bad way, but they are doing good for the world, he says, and they do so for people of all ethnicities. Policy Review over the past decade, scientists and the Lax family have worked together to establish stronger rules to govern the use of these precious specimens, but there is still much work to be done. First is action on consent. NIH Director Francis Collins has signaled that he wants the research community to consider changing the common rule, the set of policies that protect human participants in research funded by the United States government. This revision would require consent to be obtained from anyone from whom biological specimens are taken before the samples are used in research, even if the specimen, specimens are de-identified from the person they come from. Reader's note, to use the word de-identified is also a fucking lie. And I'm cursing because they're not identifying by a name per se when they quote unquote de-identify, but they're definitely identifying by ethnicity. Definitely. Everything about America is identified by ethnicity, whether it's publicized or not. We all know that when we go to a doctor, when we fill out a survey, when we apply for a job, when we apply for insurance, when anything, everything is identified by race and ethnicity in this country. So there is no de-identifying from who we are as African people around the globe, actually. So that de-identify is a lie. Back to the article. Earlier efforts to make this change failed in 2017, but now is the time to revisit the common rule, the quote-unquote standard. Oh, gosh, the snakes, boy. But now is the time to revisit the common rule. And like I said, why? Because of public outcry in 2020, just the amount of anti-blackness that has been allowed in this country and around the world 
in 2020, people started being very, very vocal about it during that shutdown. Yeah, it was the pandemic, it was a shutdown, but there was also the loud realization, public realization that anti-blackness was rampant in every aspect of our lives, our daily lives. And as a result, things like this started being looked at again. But now is the time to revisit the common rule and to reconsider the question of consent. In the past, some researchers have warned that this would impose additional burdens. Researchers, mm, you just want to be free to be racist assholes. But a compromise must be found. The last time the United States Department of Health and Human Services worked to revise the common rule, it proposed a series of other changes at the same time. Perhaps one way forward is to tackle the question of consent for biospecimens on its own and with thorough discussion involving not only scientists, but also the public. Exactly. A second, separate step must be to acknowledge and undo the disparities that are baked into basic research because the systemic racism that existed when Lax's cells were taken still exists today. In the current climate of reckoning with racial injustice, some researchers who use HALA cells have concluded that they should offer financial compensation. For example, a laboratory at the University of California, San Diego, and a UK-based biomedical company have announced donations to the Henrietta Lacks Foundation. See how that works? They knowingly donate. There is no such thing as unknowingly donate. Which established which was established in 2010 by Rebecca Sklute, the author of a book about Lacks. The foundation awards grants both to Lax's descendants and to family members of others whose bodies have been used without consent for research. Other institutions and researchers must examine whether and how their own work builds on past injustices. Gotta repeat that sentence. Other institutions and researchers must examine whether and how their own work builds on past injustices, and they must consider how best to make amends. And they go in, this article goes into how the COVID situation affected black people. I'm going to read it, but the truth is, the United States, which currently still remains a majority white country, but not for long, and Europe, which I don't know if Europe is majority white, but Europe is small. The majority of the world is black and brown. White people are, are a minority in the world, but not in places where they head up research. <laughs> or where they head up educational institutions, or where they head up uh, legal systems and the entertainment system, um, all the systems, finance, banking, all the systems. So when COVID-19 is spoken about and it's, it's portrayed as a disease that affected Black people more, yeah, I don't think that's true. Because I looked at the statistics that were even put out by these people. And in places like Ghana, uh, Nigeria, Senegal, the numbers were extremely low. And that's with no vaccine. The people who needed the vaccine or who wanted it, who were fought for it, were in majority white countries. And the majority of white countries were blasted by COVID-19. Majority black countries were not. That's just the truth. Comment if you know something different. But from everything I saw, that was the truth. So I'll read what they said, but this ain't all the way true. 
COVID-19, a disease that is disproportionately, and remember this was written in 2020, two years ago, COVID-19, a disease that is disproportionately affecting black people in a number of countries, offers an opportunity for those who wish to usher in a fairer era of research. To give back now, researchers should not only study why the disease is more prevalent and severe among black people, but also help to implement solutions to close the gap. See, that's not true. And once a vaccine is available, possibly as a result of work with HALA cells, researchers must work with marginalized. Who marginalized them? Who wrote them on the sides of the paper instead of in the center? That's, no. It's not true about the COVID-19. I'll continue with the rest of the article. The fact that Lax's cells were taken in a different era of consent will never justify what happened. The past cannot be undone, but we must acknowledge the wrongs of previous generations and those wrongs that persist today. Justice must be done, and the time to start is now. So, yeah, that article again is on nature.com. If you want to read the part about COVID-19, which I don't agree with, and I'm not, it's not true. And we're now in December 2022. Um, for example, I'll give you an example of why I know it's bullshit. European countries and anybody listening can look up in the past two years what happened with COVID. Europe was blasted with COVID-19. I'm about to travel. My flight stops I'm traveling to Africa in a couple of weeks. My return flight stops in Paris. So I was like, let me see if what's required to stay over in Paris for a couple of days because I've never been to Paris. So since my flight will be there, let me see what the requirements are. So I'll stay. In order to enter the country that I'm entering in a couple of weeks, I had to apply for a visa, which included the requirement, like health information, all kinds of information for me to get in that country, including having a valid vaccination card. Mind you, Ghana's numbers, well, I'm saying the country that I did, well, Ghana is where I'm going. Ghana's numbers were so freaking low. The United States and Europe got together and donated these vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines. But without the vaccine, the numbers were ridiculously low. And Ghana didn't change how they were moving. And people were very close, close proximity with each other. Never stopped. But a vaccine card is required. However, when I looked into traveling to... I mean, stopping over in Paris, France, guess what? No vaccination card is required. Not even, a visa is not even required. If you're staying there under 90 days, all you have to do is make sure that you leave within a 90-day period. That is anti-blackness. The requirement, the travel requirement to have to have a vaccine if you're, well, I'll look at it like this. Me coming from the United States, I would, I would be more of a threat to them than they would be to me because I'm coming from a country that was very impacted by COVID-19 and I'm going to a country that was not. So I'll, I'll look at it like that. But the fact that in order to travel, travel is impacted whether or not you have a vaccine is to me anti-black. Because the truth is, clearly, <laughs> they're doing something that we're not. If black people in that country and black people in this country were affected differently. So, uh, now I'm going to read the Johns Hopkins version of how they are honoring Miss Henrietta Lacks. But before that, I'm going to take a real quick break and take a breath because it's just, it's a lot, right? <laughs> 
It's a lot to take in. Anti-blackness is disturbing, especially when you're black, you know? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I've taken my breath. I just want to um, touch on that last statement I made about travel being anti-black. Just take a look at immigration policies and how they differ between majority black countries and other countries. So anti-blackness is a worldwide phenomenon and you have to question why. I definitely do as a black person. So then when you start learning the history that's been hidden, suppressed, lied about, whitewashed, you see why people try not to tell true history because then they look like the villains that they really are. So now I'm gonna go ahead and get into the John Hopkins version of how they are honoring the life and legacy of Henrietta Lacks. And this is found at www.hopkinsmedicine.org. And it's, um, it's a part of their website dedicated to the legacy of Henrietta Lacks. In 1951, a young mother of five named Henrietta Lacks visited the Johns Hopkins Hospital complaining of vaginal bleeding. Upon examination, renowned gynecologist Dr. Howard Jones discovered a large malignant tumor on her cervix. At the time, the Johns Hopkins Hospital was one of only a few hospitals to treat poor, they had to throw that word there, right? To treat poor African-Americans. So did other hospitals treat rich African-Americans? Like, what was the need for the word poor to be in injected, interjected there? Because the truth is, in 1951, it was still the Jim Crow era. It was still legal, legal segregation. And so most hospitals were not treating African-Americans, no matter what kind of money they had. Continuing, as medical records show, Mrs. Lacks began undergoing radium treatments for her cervical cancer. This was the best medical treatment, treatment available at the time for this terrible disease. A sample of her cancer cells retrieved during a biopsy were sent to Dr. George Gay's nearby tissue lab. For years, Dr. Gay, a prominent cancer and virus researcher, had been collecting cells from all patients, regardless of their race or socioeconomic status, who came to the Johns Hopkins Hospital with cervical cancer. But each sample quickly died in Dr. Gay's lab. What Dr. Gay would soon discover was that Mrs. Lax's cells were unlike any of the others he had ever seen. Where other cells would die, Mrs. Lax's cells doubled every 20 to 24 hours. Today, these incredible cells, nicknamed HALA cells from the first two letters of her first and last names, are used to study the effects of toxins, drugs, hormones, and viruses on the growth of cancer cells without experimenting on humans. They have been used to test the effects of radiation and poisons, to study the human genome, to learn more about how viruses work, and played a crucial role in the development of the polio and COVID-19 vaccines. 
Although Mrs. Laxis ultimately passed away on October 4th of 1951 at the age of 31, her cells continue to impact the world. Although these were the first cells that could be easily shared and multiplied in a lab setting, Johns Hopkins has never sold or profited from the discovery or distribution distribution of HALA cells and does not own the rights to the HALA cell line. Rather, Johns Hopkins offered HALA cells freely and widely for scientific research. So their claim is that they never sold or profited from the discovery or distribution of HALA cells. How have you not profited when you offered her cells for scientific research? Is the scientific research being done at your facility? Do you get grants and funding from nonprofits for that research? Do people have jobs since 1951 till today based on the fact that her cells were being used? So that's a that's a mm, slippery slope right there. That use of language that Johns Hopkins didn't profit, not a whole truth. So half a truth is a lie. John Hopkins applauds and regularly participates in efforts to raise awareness of the life and story of Henrietta Lacks. Readers pause. Since when? Since when? Since you were made to, since you were requested to, since you legally have to now, yeah, back to the website. Having reviewed our interactions with Henrietta Lacks and with the Lacks family over more than 50 years, we found that Johns Hopkins could have and should have done more to inform and work with members of Henrietta Lacks's family out of respect for them, their privacy, and their personal interests. Oof. So they are taking... They're saying that they reviewed it. They're not going to put in that... Well, they're not taking accountability. They, these people are so fake, but... Thankfully, Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks's family is active. So, yeah, this is the this is this is whitewashing, ladies and gentlemen. This is what whitewashing is. Johns Hopkins is whitewashing what happened in the past one hundred years of their history with Miss Henrietta Lacks. I'll, I'll start again now that I have my mind wrapped around this is actual whitewashing in action. John Hopkins applauds and regularly participates in efforts to raise awareness of the life and story of Henrietta Lacks. Having reviewed our interactions with Henrietta Lacks and with the Lacks family over more than 50 years, yes, 100 years is more than 50, we found that Johns Hopkins could have and should have done more to inform and work with members of Henrietta Lacks's family out of respect for them, their privacy, and their personal interests. Though the collection and use of Henrietta Lacks's cells and research was an acceptable and legal practice in the 1950s, such a practice would not happen today without the patient's consent. We are deeply committed to the ongoing efforts at our institutions and elsewhere to honor the contributions of Henrietta Lacks and to ensure the appropriate protection and care of the Lacks family medical information. After 100 years of not, of doing the exact opposite. So um, this gets to where the story caught my attention today. Henrietta Lacks building a new multidisciplinary building on the Johns Hopkins East Baltimore campus in honor of Henrietta Lacks, who was the source of the HALA cell line that has been critical to numerous advances in medicine, 
is being built. And so they give building updates. November 10th, 2022. Just, uh, what's today? Today's December 1st, so just a couple of weeks ago, this story was published. Johns Hopkins presents initial design of building named in honor of Henrietta Lacks to Baltimore's Urban Design and Architecture Advisory Panel. So, let's see here. Let me go into that article on their website. Okay, so Johns Hopkins have local and minority-owned businesses lead design construction contract for building of building named in honor of Henrietta Lacks. Let's see. Okay, so it's a timeline of how the building came about. So as of October 6th in 2018, Johns Hopkins University and family of Henrietta Lacks announced a plan to name a research building in honor of her. And then October 5th, 2019, they selected an architect for early stage planning of the multidisciplinary building in honor of Henrietta Lacks. In February 24th of 2022, a local and minority owned business led design construction contract for building named in honor of Henrietta Lacks. So that word minority doesn't necessarily mean it um, is a black construction company and architect. So let's see what this is. This is from the Johns Hopkins University website. Johns Hopkins names design construction firms for Henrietta Lacks Building. The East Baltimore Building Project, expected to be completed in 2024, will be designed and managed by local and or and or minority-owned businesses. So minority could be anybody who's not a white male because white women are considered minority in such fields. The building will be named in honor of the woman whose HALA cell line has been critical to numerous medical breakthroughs and whose story has inspired important discussions of bioethics and patients' rights. The Johns Hopkins University and Johns Hopkins Medicine today announced the on-campus building project Named in honor of Henrietta Lacks, uh, the Baltimore County woman whose cells have advanced medicine around the world, will be designed and managed. Uh, okay, here are the architects. Vines Architecture and local Baltimore construction firm Mahogany in conjunction with Turner Construction Company. The new building in East Baltimore, named for Mrs. Lacks, will be approximately 34,000 square feet and will adjoin Decring Hall, an existing historic structure that is home to the Berman Institute of Bioethics. Located at the corner of Ashland and Rutland Avenues in the heart of Baltimore's Eager Park community, the building will support multidisciplinary and complementary programs of the Berman Institute. JHU's School of Medicine and other parts of the university. It will include flexible program and classroom space to support education and research. And all the project aims to direct 30% of addressable spend to minority owned and women owned businesses and 20% to local business enterprises outpacing John Hopkins' existing economic inclusion commitments. The design process will continue through 2022 with construction beginning in January 2023. The building is expected to be completed in 2024 with an opening celebration planned for spring 2025. It is our responsibility and honor to showcase the outstanding work of Baltimore's local and minority-owned businesses in the design and construction of this building to be named in honor of Henrietta Lacks and her legacy, said John Hopkins University President John Daniels. We are thrilled to be working together with Vines, Turner, and Mahogany to bring this exciting project to life. 
The new approximately 34,000 square foot building in East Baltimore named for Mrs. Lax will adjoin Deering Hall, an existing historic structure that is home to the Vermont Institute of Bioethics. Okay, that's repeating. Let's see. Added Paul B. Rothman, Dean of the Medical Faculty for the School of Medicine and Chief Executive Officer, John Hopkins Medicine, Henrietta Lacks's extraordinary contributions to clinical research and the, the advancement of health throughout the world are especially important in today's world as we harness rapidly advancing science and research to tackle tough challenges. We are honored to be able to name this building in recognition of Mrs. Lacks and are proud it will be fittingly home to Johns Hopkins world-leading bioethics research and education and programs for our researchers to partner with patients and the community to work to improve the health of Baltimore and the nation. Johns Hopkins also announced today that the Henrietta Lacks Building Community Advisory Committee made up of members of the Lacks family, okay, the East Baltimore Community, Johns Hopkins University, and Johns Hopkins Medicine will reconvene and offer input during the design process and respond to proposed options at specific milestones throughout the project. The group will meet quarterly. On behalf of the Lax family, it is important for us to humanize the HALAS cells by acknowledging the contributions Henrietta Lax unknowingly made to the world, said Jerry Lax Y, granddaughter of Henrietta Lax. By serving on the advisory committee, we will contribute what we believe represents our matriarch and the community she lived in. Together, we will keep her legacy alive by recognizing and honoring Henrietta Lacks' tremendous contributions to mankind over the last 70 years and continuing into the years to come. The design of the building will magnify her story and legacy. I am proud that Johns Hopkins is naming this new building in honor of Henrietta Lacks. And it goes on to talk about how Lax was a 31-year-old African-American mother of five from Baltimore County who sought treatment at the Johns John Hopkins Hospital in the early 1950s. Doctors diagnosed Mrs. Lax with cervical cancer, and as medical records show, she received care that included the best medical treatment available at the time. Unfortunately, treatment was unsuccessful and Mrs. Lax passed away in October of 1951. A sample of Mrs. Lax's cancer cells was retrieved during a biopsy and sent to cancer researcher Dr. George Gay's nearby tissue lab where he had been collecting cells from patients who came to the Johns, Hos Johns Hopkins Hospital with cervical cancer. He discovered these cells were unlikely were unlike any of the others he had seen. Where other cells would die, Mrs. Lax's cells survived, and the number of cells would double every 20 to 24 hours. Soon after that, he began sharing the cells at no cost with researchers around the world. They were partners in the... Mm. Deemed HALA cells, the cell line that began from the biopsy Mrs. Lax proved Deemed HALA cells, the cell line that began from the biopsy from Mrs. Lacks proved to be remarkably durable and prolific. And while many additional cell lines are in use today, HALA cells have had a unique contribution to untold medical breakthroughs. Untold. Tell them all. I, I want to visit that building. I want to see how they honor her for real especially since the family is involved in how uh, the construction of the building and her legacy is being told in that building. Untold medical breakthroughs over the decades since their discovery. In 2013, Johns Hopkins, so from 19, it took from 1951 to 2013 for Johns Hopkins to finally work with the family. In 2013, Johns Hopkins, and that part is not included on their website. The long fight between 1951 and 2013, the long legal battles, the denials, the unwillingness to work with the family, 
What about the companies that Johns Hopkins worked with, the for-profit companies that definitely profited largely? Nobody worked with the family. They had to fight. But none of that, of course, is included in this, in this telling of their history with working with Henrietta Lacks. This is whitewashing. Just take out a big chunk of why it took from 1951 to 2013 for them to work with the family. In 2013, Johns Hopkins worked with members of the Lacks family and the National Institutes of Health to help craft an agreement that requires scientists to receive permission to use Henrietta Lacks' genetic blueprint in NIH-funded research. You want to talk about nobody profited? Funded, funding, funded, that's money. Funded research. Where'd you get the money from? Because you were sharing her cells with somebody else and y'all supported and funded each other off of her cells. The NIH committee tasked with overseeing the use of HALA cells now includes two members of the Lacks family. The biomedical research community has also made significant strides in updating research practices for the donation and use of tissue from patients, in part thanks to the lessons learned from Henrietta Lacks' story. The lessons learned. Now, if that ain't whitewashing, the field of bioethics is dedicated to ensuring that we consider and help respond to the ethical issues that arise from innovations in medicine and science at Jeffrey Kahn, director of the Berman Institute. We are thrilled and humbled at the prospect of carrying out this vitally important work in a building, in a building that honors Mrs. Lacks and everything her legacy stands for. Vines Architecture, an award-winning African-American-owned firm, yes, yes, based in Raleigh, North Carolina, completed a year-long feasibility study for the new building and has been selected, congratulations, Vines Architecture, and has been selected as the project's design architect of record. Vines leaders previously supported renowned national projects, including the programming and design of the Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History and Culture, the North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University Student Center, the International Civil Rights Center and Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the Harvey B. Gantt Center for African-American Arts and Culture in Charlotte, North Carolina. The importance and significance of this project cannot be elevated high enough through words, said Victor Vines, president of Vine, Vines Architecture. We clearly understand this building will have to be designed at a level that's worthy to carry the name of Henrietta Lacks. It has the opportunity to perform as a true linkage between Johns Hopkins, the East Baltimore community, and the world by way of telling the unvarnished story and legacy of Henrietta Lacks through its architecture. Turner Construction and Baltimore-based Mahogany will lead the pre-construction services and offer construction management. Mahogany, an African-American-owned firm, is co-managing the project. Mahogany is a graduate of the Hopkins B. Local Build College program, which provides training for small, local, minority-owned, and women-owned businesses in Baltimore's design and construction industries. We think this project will have a lasting impact on the city of Baltimore, said Jeff Hargrave, president of Mahogany and a graduate of Baltimore's Goldman Sachs. 10,000 small businesses program for which Johns Hopkins served, serves as host and Bloomberg Philanthropies is a partner. We look forward to working to ensure the project's success and continue to share the legacy of Henrietta Lacks. While we are proud of all our projects, we are incredibly proud for the opportunity to bring this historically important project to life. So I applaud everybody who fought for and are involved in and ultimately bringing this building 
to life. Miss Henrietta Lacks, her natural selves. You know when people say black woman is God, it's stuff like this. It's, it's things like this because her cells are an example of God playing out within humanity, within our nature, within our literal nature. So again, kudos to everybody who played a positive part in bringing that building to life. I look forward to visiting the building myself with my family. And um, thankfully, her story didn't just stay where it was, where those researchers took ourselves and, and moved through their lives without any type of regard from where they got for, for the source. For the source. And so thanks to the author of the book, thanks to the movie, the film, uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And when I watched that film a few years ago, I was struck with the same feeling I always get when I see anti-blackness at play and no resolution. But now, thankfully, I get to read a story like this and hopefully get to see the building come to life and know that her life was not in vain, that her family, that her offspring, that her blackness is impacting the world in a positive way, her Africanness, her womanhood, her life is impacting the world in ways that nobody else could. Her spirit is living on through her family. Um, the practice of ancestral veneration is, is in move, is moving with her and her family. They are honoring their mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother in the ways that she should be honored. This is definitely, definitely good news, even with the adversaries who are still at play with their whitewashing of history because there are strong people on the side of what is right. Her story is being told the right way. Word.